Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Ken and Carrie Lyles have been members of our church for many, many years, and they have followed Muslims all over the world to take the love of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ to them, and God is saving Muslims everywhere. They're living sent, as we're all called to live, to live sent. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you, living on that mission. And many of you, this past week, lived sent, and we took the love of God to our city and various refugee groups and people that have come to Kansas City, Afghan refugees specifically, and one of the things I'm most excited about right now in the life of our church, listen, in 20 years, I've never seen God stirring the waters of our church and the heart of our church for the nations. And so my question today is, who's the next generation of Ken and Carrie Lyles? You know what, we've got two young families we're going to be sending to parts of the Islamic world next year from right here. They're going to be living there to do the very same thing Ken and Carrie have been doing, to take the gospel to Muslims, and there are still more to come. And I just want you to know that if you don't know more about that, maybe the call of God on your life to live sent by going to the nations, it all begins right here, living sent among your neighbors. You don't have to get on an airplane to do this. The need is right here in our city. Living sent is what God has called every single one of us to do. Now, Daniel chapter 7 is where we are today. We're doing a verse-by-verse study through the book of Daniel. If this is your first time among us, we like to do something that is just kind of less and less done. It's a little weird in church life today. Like, we like to study the Bible. Yeah. We take a book of the Bible and we go verse by verse, line by line through that book. And we're doing Daniel this year. It's a book of prophecy. People ask, well, what does a 2,500-year-old document have to do with my life today? And I say just about everything. Because we're living in some of the times, the very things that Daniel saw 2,500 years ago. Daniel 7, just by way of review, is a prophecy of four world kingdoms that will rise and fall before Christ established his kingdom of everlasting dominion. Now, as we study biblical prophecy, listen, prophecy should move us to live with urgency for the things of eternity to live sent with kingdom priorities. If it doesn't move us with urgency, then it's just another honestly intellectual study that has no power to transform our lives. This is how God wants to use it in each of our lives. As we study biblical prophecy, it ought to move us to live sent with greater urgency, with a focus on eternity. Daniel chapter seven is a prophecy of four kingdoms that would come and go, rise and fall, before Jesus comes back to establish his kingdom of everlasting dominion. Remember, that's the theme of Daniel. That's the theme of the entire Bible. That God's plan for man has always been to establish this kingdom that would be without end. That's why God put Adam in a garden and said these words in Genesis chapter 1, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth with the image of God, a race of beings that would establish the kingdom of God. But we know there is a war for the world, but there is once an, a, a cherub by the name of Lucifer, the light bearer of God that was meant to bear the light of God. There was a day he looks up into heaven and he says, I don't want the second 
chair. I want to be first chair. I want that chair. Isaiah 14, 12, he says, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And the battle is on. It is a battle for a throne. And I'm telling you, church, the reason we look around in our world today and we see the chaos and the confusion and the destruction is because there are two kingdoms that are colliding, two kingdoms of opposition, and they're in a place of collision. You see, Satan's desire is to be worshiped as God, to sit on the throne of God and steal the kingdom from God. Now, why are we doing this study? Yes, it should move us to urgency, but the reality is you can't be effective for God in a world that you don't understand. And biblical prophecy gives us an understanding of where the world is going and how God is positioning the props and the players on the world platform for the climax of the ages, the return of Jesus Christ. And we get closer and closer to the time of the end, we're going to see more and more of these prophecies unfold. Remember Daniel chapter 12 and verse 9, as Daniel is signing off this letter, God tells him, what you have seen, these prophecies are sealed until the time of the end. So I look at biblical prophecy, I've told you recently, it's like a thousand piece puzzle. You've got all the pieces scattered out in front of you. There's a picture in those pieces. All you gotta do is figure out how those pieces fit together. What takes a thousand piece puzzle to put together? It takes time, lots of time. What takes biblical prophecy to put all those pieces together? Lots and lots of time. And what God was teaching is that it gets closer to the time of the end, more of those pieces are gonna come together. And I'm convinced we're seeing some of those pieces coming together even in our time, which is why I'm preaching today on the role of Islam in the last days. I'm convinced that Islam is one of those major puzzle pieces that is coming together. Think about this. Before 9-11, the average American didn't even know a Muslim. Before 9-11, I hadn't actually even met a Muslim. But something's happened in the last 20 years. Islam has become increasingly mainstream even in Western civilization. You heard Ken say 20,000 Muslims from all around the world call Kansas City now their home. I don't think that's an accident. In fact, I think that is providence that we're gonna see Islam have a major role in the last days. It's no wonder Islam seeks worldwide dominion because Satan wants what belongs to God earthly kingdom. Think about what makes Islam unique of all the faith systems and all the world religions, unlike Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism. What Islam seeks is worldwide dominion. Uh, you before 9-11 probably never heard of Al-Qaeda. I hadn't either. You'd never heard probably of the Taliban. I hadn't either. You'd never heard of ISIS. I hadn't either. What do all these groups have in common? They want to establish what is called a Muslim caliphate, which is a theocracy, a worldwide kingdom, worldwide dominion of the worship of Allah. And I'm convinced Satan is going to use Islam to advance his kingdom in the face of God and his kingdom in that opposition. And that is why we're seeing in the last 20 years Islam emerge. I'm going to tell you why here in just a few minutes. Let's pick it up in Daniel chapter 7, verse 7. If you're ready for this, say, Jesus over all. He is. All right, here we go. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible. Remember, God describes the world kingdoms as beasts. They are monstrosities. They're a thing that is brutal and bloody, and this fourth beast is indeed a monstrosity. It represents a kingdom, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong, 
It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts that were before it, and it had 10 horns. What have we learned? What we've learned is the prophecy of this fourth beast was partially fulfilled historically by the old Roman Empire. You've heard of Rome's iron legions. This beast has iron teeth. No doubt about it, this fourth beast was the Roman Empire, the empire that was in charge at the time of Christ's first coming. But like much of biblical prophecy, This is a dual prophecy. It is a double prophecy, meaning, like with lots and lots of prophecy, not just this one, there is a historical and partial fulfillment that points prophetically to a future and final fulfillment. That's the nature now of this fourth beast. We know it historically as the Roman Empire, but prophetically it will be fulfilled completely sometime in the future as it relates to a revived or reborn Roman Empire. 10 nation confederation, verse 23. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The 10 horns are 10 kings. The Bible's so hard to understand, isn't it? See, God always gives us the interpretation of the symbolism. We don't have to impose our own arbitrary ideas or opinions on it. God always gives us the interpretation. The Bible is a self-interpreting book. So he tells us now what this beast is and what these 10 horns on this beast are. The 10 horns are 10 kings who shall arise from this kingdom. And another shall rise after them, another king. And he shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. So what do we learn? The future and final fulfillment of this fourth beast will be a revived Roman Empire represented by these ten horns, a ten-nation confederation. In other words, God tells Daniel the old Roman Empire historically is going to give birth to a future empire of ten nations that will come together in a coalition. Now I know that I'm doing a lot of heavy, heavy teaching. I'm doing something that that people say pastors should not do in our modern age. I'm defying all the conventional wisdom, and what we're doing is we're peeling back all the layers, and we're taking a deep dive into Scripture. But I just happen to think you got a brain. I give you more credit than a lot of people do. Like, I just happen to think you might want to learn something when you come to church, yes? Yeah? Now, we've been doing a lot of heavy teaching, which is why we're doing this Q&A this afternoon, an open Q&A, 4.30 this afternoon, over in the auditorium of the old admin building. If you can't come, we're going to put it online, because I want you to be able to ask all the questions that you may have. I'm doing a lot of extra teaching outside of Sunday morning in these extra edition lessons. But here's the reality, guys. You cannot understand the future without understanding the past. So you can't understand biblical prophecy without knowing anything about history. And the reality is you can't understand the world that is, much less the world that we are going to be, to be effective in the world, impacting the souls of men and women for eternity. Prophecy gives us an understanding of the world we live in. We live at a time where like, our heads are spinning 
with so many changes, what in the world is going on? Well, here's the reality. What God tells us is what is going on behind the scenes. You need to learn to look at the world, not simply through your physical eyes, but through your spiritual eyes. There's always more going on behind the scenes. There's Satan who is pulling the strings behind the scenes. Two kingdoms are colliding. You have a 10-nation confederation that will one day emerge somewhere in the same geographic region as the the old Roman Empire. Verse 24, the ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom and another shall rise, another king. Now this is speaking of the one the Bible calls the Antichrist, a political leader that will emerge somewhere in the future. The one that everyone has heard of, this this political leader that has captured the attention of generations from Bible believers and those who do not believe. I'm talking the History Channel does documentaries on the Antichrist. Hollywood has made movies about the Antichrist. This is the one that Daniel now sees. Another horn emerges from among these ten horns, another leader after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High and shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. That is three and a half years. We're talking the last half of the seven-year tribulation that Jesus prophesied to come upon the earth shortly before his return. Now I'm moving really quick. I'm trying to get where I got to get. Everybody good? You put your seatbelt on because you might otherwise get thrown off your seat. We got to move fast, all right? Okay, here we go. What we're learning is this. The revived Roman Empire made up of a 10-nation confederation will form the power base for the Antichrist, this leader that will one day emerge. Now, prophecy scholars always debate what nations will be these 10 nations that form this confederation, this alliance. Historically, you have prophecy scholars that say, well, it's gonna be a 10-nation confederation of European nations, and many see the formation of the EU just some 20 years ago as the foundation for fulfilling this prophecy. You have others now that are contending, no, the 10 nations will be 10 Arab nations. And they're going to form a caliphate. But all you have to do to settle the argument is look at the map of the old Roman Empire. Remember, this is a reborn, a revived Roman Empire. And what made this beast different, remember Daniel says this beast is different, is this beast, this empire, spanned both west and east, east and west, meaning it was partly European and partly Arab. Now remember this. Because this corresponds to the ten toes of Daniel chapter 2. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar sees these same four kingdoms come and go, rise and fall, with the legs of iron, speaking of Rome, with the ten toes on the feet of both of those legs, speaking of the same ten nations represented now by these ten horns. Now, here's what made Rome different, guys. Rome was never conquered. It merely crumbled. Rome was fragmented, it divided. If you know anything about Roman history, in 395 AD, it divided east and west. You had Rome that became the capital of the Western Empire that would become Christian. You had Constantinople, today's Istanbul, that became the empire, or I should say the capital of the Eastern Empire, that would become Muslim. 
So let's settle the argument right now. These 10 nations will come partly from Europe and partly from the Muslim world. In fact, I'm convinced it corresponds to the 10 toes. You have east and west, right and left, the legs of iron with the 10 toes, five on each side. Probably, I don't know this for sure, probably five nations from Europe, five nations from the Arab world. Now, I don't know that for sure. I'll tell you why. Because it hasn't happened. And so prophecy teachers need to be really careful making absolute statements about events that haven't happened yet. So I've said many times, the best way to interpret biblical prophecy is once it's happened, then everybody's an expert. But right now, nobody's an expert. We don't know how this, we know it's going to happen. We don't know for sure how it's going to happen. What I know for sure is this 10-nation confederation will be from nations in this part of the world. And it makes perfect sense. You have a revived Roman Empire that's both European and Arab. And when you look right now at some of what is going on in the partnerships going on in current events, if you're watching the news, you have the EU, the European Union, that is currently forming strategic partnerships with the Arab League. The Arab League is the confederation of Arab nations. The EU is a confederation of European nations. And currently, they are forming political and economic partnerships, which is exactly, in some way, what Daniel prophesies for the last days. And I'm convinced, I don't know this for sure, but I'm convinced Satan's going to use Islam in the last days to establish an earthly kingdom in opposition to God. God's kingdom. Now, once again, I've just got these thousand-piece puzzles, and I'm just looking at a major puzzle piece, and I'm trying to figure out how it fits together with what is going on in the world. And I'm convinced what we've seen in the last 20 years with the rise of Islam is a major puzzle piece emerging that fits with other puzzle pieces as we see the picture of the last day shortly before Jesus returns to the earth. Let me be clear. Islam is driven by the spirit of Antichrist. Now I say that because 1 John 2, defines the spirit of Antichrist this way. 1 John 2, who is a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. Meaning, if you deny that Jesus is deity as the second person of the Trinity, that he came down from heaven as humanity so that he could bleed and die at Calvary, that he rose from the dead one day to return to reign eternally, it's the spirit of antichrist. And you understand that we live at a time where people go, Pastor Phil, oh no, 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 no. Jews, Christians, Muslims, we all worship the same God. It's all the same God, just with a different name. I mean, Jesus, Buddha, Allah, it's all really just the same. I'm going to make a statement. It's going to sound so profound. But someone needs to say it, because not enough people are saying this, okay? So, 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 so here I go. Opposite things are not the same. Yeah. Different things are not the same. Oh, Phil, you need to be more open-minded. I mean, we live in an enlightened time. Hey, the problem with the average American is we become so open-minded, our brains have fallen out. We've lost all common sense. Opposite things cannot both be true. 
Here's what I mean. Islam teaches that God has no son. Christianity teaches that Jesus is God's son. They both can't be true. Islam teaches that God is alone the Almighty, but we know that God, in fact, is a Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, of which Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. Here's the point. Opposite things are not the same. No, Muslims don't worship the same God as Christians. Now, God loves the Muslim, and he wants to reach the Muslim with the truth of Jesus, but listen carefully. We're not all worshiping the same God just with a different name. They're not the same. They teach different things that are diametrically opposed one to another, which means the spirit of Antichrist is what is currently energizing Islam that denies the deity of Jesus Christ. In fact, the idea that Jesus is deity is blasphemy to a devout Muslim. It's blasphemy, heresy. How dare you say that Jesus is deity? In Islam, Jesus is a prophet to be revered, one of 25 prophets, but Muhammad is the greatest prophet. So let's just be honest and use some common sense. These are not the same thing. Allah is not the God that we worship as Christians. We worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who revealed himself in the Hebrew tongue as Yahweh, the God of the covenant. He is Yahweh. His name is not Allah. Yet we're seeing the rise of Islam, I'm convinced, because it's a major puzzle piece that's falling into place in these last days. Allah is a powerful, satanic spirit, a false god, whom 1.5 billion are currently deceived into worshiping. Now listen, the average American, the average Christian thinks that these pagan deities of today and yesteryear, wherever they are and whatever they are, they're just figments of people's fertile imaginations, like, like they're not real. And I would contend that as a matter of fact, every pagan deity is not just made up in someone's mind because you understand that Satan masquerades as God. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 called him the God of this age, little g. He's not God, big G. There's only one God, big G. But there are many gods, little g. We know from Revelation chapter 12 that when Lucifer rebels against God, says, I want that chair, I don't want just this chair, that a third of the angels rebelled with him. They are now the ones we call demons in the New Testament. Ephesians 6, 12 says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers, of darkness of this age, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. You have fallen angels who are God-like. They're not God, but they're God-like. And historically, they masquerade as gods, and they're worshiped all over the world. Who is Allah? He's not some made-up deity. He is a very powerful, godlike entity that was being worshipped at the time of Muhammad in the 6th century AD and had been worshipped for hundreds of years before in Mecca at the Kaaba. And today, one and a half billion people will eventually make a pilgrimage to Mecca to worship at the Kaaba. This is one of the five pillars of Islam. To eventually, wherever you are in the world, make a pilgrimage to Mecca where you walk around the Kaaba seven times counterclockwise, worshiping Allah, who is the moon god. 
So it was in Mecca at the time of Muhammad where there was the Kaaba. Kaaba means cube. That black building is the Kaaba. And five times a day, devout Muslims will bow and prostrate themselves in prayer, pointing toward the Kaaba. So several years ago, we went on our first trip to the Holy Land. We fly out of Chicago on the Royal Jordanian Airline. It's a Muslim airline. Many Muslims flying with us. And you know, when you go on an international flight, you have a TV. And normally that TV is simply to entertain you with movies you'd never watch otherwise. You're so bored, you'll do anything to make the time pass, right? But that's not true in the Royal Jordanian. That TV is there for a reason. Because on that TV, wherever you are in the air, there's an arrow. And that arrow is always moving. And it's always pointing toward the Kaaba. So that even in the air, if you're a devout Muslim, you can get down on the ground and the floor of that plane, bow toward Mecca, and pray. And they pray five times a day. And at the time of Muhammad, in the city of Mecca, there was this Kaaba, the cube. It was a shrine to pagan gods. There were 135 pagan deities being worshipped at that time, each of them being worshipped within that very shrine. One of them was this God right here, meet Allah. He is the moon God. And this stone-carved deity of which archaeologists have found hundreds and hundreds and hundreds around the Arabian Peninsula, and Mecca itself was the moon god, one of 135 gods that was being worshipped at the Kaaba at the time of Muhammad. I want you to notice something. Look carefully. You see here the crescent half moon. That was the symbol of the moon god, the crescent half moon. Remember that. You're going to need it in just a minute to put the pieces of this puzzle together. Now, it was believed at the time that the moon god, Allah, at one time had sex with the sun god or goddess, and from the union of the sun goddess and the moon god, the stars were born. Now you know why Paul calls them rulers of darkness of this age, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Satan was kicked out of the third heaven as God put down his insurrection, where he now makes his abode in the second heaven. We're talking the cosmos, which is why historically people have worshipped the stars, the sun, the moon as deities, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Ephesians 2.2 calls Satan the prince of power of the air. Because it's from up there that he reigns over the earth, down here, that dominion passed from Adam to Satan. Did you know that Jesus in John 14 and verse 30 called Satan the ruler of this world? See, Satan is currently the ruler of the kingdoms of this world. First John 5, 19, the entire world lies under the power of the wicked one. That's why the kingdoms of this world are seen as a monstrosity. They are brutal. They are bloody. In the eyes of God, Daniel 7, they are ugly. Go back to the time of Muhammad. This is one of 135 gods being worshipped by the Arabian tribes and passing caravans near Mecca. One day, Muhammad wakes up in the morning and makes a declaration. The moon god is the only true god. All the other gods are false gods. And Islam was born. Remember, the moon god had had offspring with the sun god. The stars were born. And that is why to this day, this is the symbol of Islam. The crescent half moon, because Allah is the moon god, and one of his offspring, the stars. 
Now, I want you to see something amazing, something striking, something that cannot be coincidental. In fact, I'm convinced it is providential when you study the similarities between Muslim end times belief and biblical end times truth. The parallels are absolutely striking. In other words, the eschatology, the end time teaching of Muslims parallels the eschatology that we know as Christians. What is God doing right now? What is Satan doing at this very moment? Why have we seen the rise of Islam in the last days? Did you know that Muslims at this very moment are anticipating the arrival of a Messiah-like figure who will emerge in the last days? Christians are awaiting the return of their Messiah. Jews are waiting for their Messiah. Did you know Muslims are also waiting and believing that any moment their Messiah-like figure will emerge? He's called the 12th Imam, or the Mahdi. It was 878 AD. The 12th Imam disappeared. Now, you need to know what was going on historically. By this time, there was civil war within Islam. And the Mahdi's, or the Imams, were believed to trace their ancestry clear back as a direct lineage to Muhammad. The problem is they couldn't agree. So then you have the Sunnis who are born, you have the Shiites that are born, and they're fighting with each other because they don't believe each other has the true imam, and they were assassinating each other's imams. You have this little boy in 878 AD that disappears as the 12th imam. In all probability, the poor kid was kidnapped and executed by the opposite side. But the Hadith, one of the religious books of Islam, teaches that the 12th Imam will one day re-emerge. And when he does, he'll be a political and military leader that will usher in the worldwide kingdom of Allah, a caliphate, the very thing that ISIS was fighting for, the Taliban is fighting for, Al-Qaeda is fighting for, a worldwide kingdom under the universal worship and rulership of Allah. Now check this out. In his second coming, the 12th Imam is believed by Muslims to arrive riding a white horse. Does this sound at all familiar? Has anybody ever read the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 6, with the four horsemen of the apocalypse? the first of which is a white horse. This is why Muslim leaders throughout the Middle East love being photographed on a white horse or painted on a white horse. This is Saddam Hussein, the former dictator of Iraq. He loved riding around in great parade and display on a white horse because his belief is maybe Allah will choose me to be the 12th imam. It wasn't just Saddam Hussein. It was Muammar Gaddafi of Libya. Other leaders liked that historically because their belief in the Hadith is that when the 12th Imam comes, he'll be on a white horse. Now look at what it says in Revelation 6.1. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked and behold a white horse and he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. I don't know this for sure, but I think possibly, if not probably, the 12th imam is in fact the biblical antichrist. The antichrist never claims to be Christ. That's kind of an erroneous teaching that's been shared a lot with prophecy teachers. Well, he's a counterfeit Christ. No, that's not at all what the antichrist is. The antichrist is not a counterfeit Christ. He is antichrist. He is against Christ. 
Remember what we saw in Daniel 7.25? This leader speaks pompous words against the Most High. He is blaspheming the Most High. Not only that, remember what it said? It's in Daniel 7.25. He will change times and laws. Don't know this for sure, but I do know under a caliphate, the theocracy of Allah, you live by Sharia law. You've heard of Sharia law? This figure will change times and laws. Currently, our time is kept by the life of guess who? Jesus Christ. The life, death, and resurrection. Now, secular people have tried to change it from B.C., before Christ, to B.C.E., before Common Era, but our calendar still reflects, guess who? He changes times, gets a new calendar, and he changes laws, possibly Sharia law. Now, we're not done. That's, that's pretty remarkable all by itself, but did you know that like Christians, Muslims believe Jesus will return to the earth at his second coming? Muslims believe Jesus will come again. What do Christians believe? Jesus will come again. But understand, when the Muslim Jesus returns, it's not the biblical Jesus at all that we worship and follow. The Islamic Jesus is a Muslim who returns to the earth to help the 12th Imam usher in the universal worship of Allah. They believe Jesus returns simply to announce to the world that he is not God's son, that God has no son, that he was never crucified on a cross, that he never actually died and rose from the dead, that he simply ascended back into heaven having never actually died, and he returns for one reason, to announce to the world that Allah is the true and living God, and where the 12th imam is the political leader, it is this Jesus who is the religious figure. I don't know this for sure, but I think maybe the Muslim Jesus is in fact the biblical false prophet of Revelation chapter 13, possibly. In fact, I will even say probably because the description and the detail is absolutely striking. There's a second beast described in Revelation 13. The first one is the Antichrist, the political leader. The second one is the false prophet, the religious leader. Look at what it says, Revelation 13, 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. Now class, who is the lamb? Jesus. John 1, 29, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You have somebody here who in fact is a false Jesus, a false Christ. He has two horns like a lamb, meaning he looks like Jesus. He has the appearance of Jesus, yet he speaks like a dragon. Who is the dragon? It is Satan. You have somebody masquerading as Jesus that looks like Jesus, yet out of his mouth is blasphemy. Because he is in the face of God announcing that Allah is the true and living God. You see, Muslims believe Jesus will perform miracles to prove he is the Christ and point the entire world to Allah. And Jesus spoke specifically of this in his Olivet Discourse. Matthew 24 and verse 24, Jesus warned us and said these words, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the very elect, even you and me as the elect elect of God. What did he say? There will be false Christ. There will be false prophets. And how will they deceive? Through lying signs and wonders, the ability to do miracles, 
Church, this is the danger of the modern charismatic movement that puts overdue emphasis on signs and wonders. Now, we know God still is a God of wonders, that God still does miracles. In fact, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But I'm trying to tell you, if your litmus test of a move of God is a sign and a wonder, you will be easily deceived because of what you see unless you are clinging to what God has said. Because if you have to see a miracle to authenticate the move of God, you need to be warned, Satan can do those too. Which is why you need to learn to filter everything that you see through what God has said. Or you will be easily deceived. Whoever this false prophet is will be so absolutely deceptive because of his miracle, supernatural ability to do signs and wonders. Jesus said, if possible, it's not possible, but if it were, even you and me would be deceived, even the very elect of God. And we're not quite done, I'm still going. Did you know the color of Islam is pale green? which is the same color as the pale horse described by the apostle John, the fourth horseman of the apocalypse. It says these words in verse seven, Revelation six, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come and see. So I looked and behold, a pale horse. That word pale in the Greek is the word coloris, from which we get the word chlorophyll. It's what gives leaves their green color. This horse is a pale green color. And the name of him who sat on him was death and Hades followed with him and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger and with death and by beasts of the earth. And now you know why I'm convinced the color of Islam is pale green. And anywhere you go in the world, when you see a mosque, it has a dome that is pale green or a light shining in the night that is pale green. This fourth horseman is sitting on a mount, a horse, the same color as Islam. Now here's what's amazing, as the spirit of Antichrist is moving, the true and living Christ is too. You just heard a story of a former ISIS fighter who came to faith in Jesus Christ as he prayed to Allah, Allah, I don't know for sure who you are. I don't understand why Muslims are killing Muslims, but Jesus, you're one of our prophets. I need something to eat. Would you like something to eat? Do you know what it says in Joel 2? There's a prophecy in Joel chapter 2 that I believe, in fact, is being fulfilled before our eyes in our lifetime. It's a prophecy of the day of the Lord, the end times, partially fulfilled in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, according to Apostle Peter, to be finally completely fulfilled during the seven-year tribulation right before Jesus returns to the earth. It says, in those days, I will pour my spirit out on all flesh, not just the Jews, but all flesh, all people, nations, tribes, and tongues. And it says, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will dream dreams, and your old men will see visions, and whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And at this very moment, there are a million Muslims coming to faith in Christ throughout the country of Iran over and over and over again. The fastest growing church in the world is in a country that is the most hostile to the gospel, perhaps of any Islamic nation. The spirit of Antichrist is moving, but the spirit of the true and living Christ is too. 
Our missionaries, Ken and Carrie Lyle, they're, they're not prone to embellishment. They're not prone to exaggerate. I asked them personally, having ministered the gospel to Muslim people for the last 35 years, what do you see happening? And guess what they'll say? Muslims are coming to faith in the most miraculous ways. Like they'll have a dream about Jesus. That doesn't make them put their faith in Jesus, but the dream they have about Jesus makes them begin pursuing the truth of who is Jesus. That's Joel too. It's happening. It's an unstoppable move of God. But you won't get to see any of the move of God if you're not living sent. That's why we have these weeks four times a year. You don't have to get on an airplane to live sent. We're going to have over a dozen global trips next year, international mission trips. But you don't have to live sent there. In fact, I would say if you're not living sent here, don't bother flying there. The opportunity abounds right here. This past week, a bunch of you live sent on our live sent week. You minister the gospel to Afghan refugees. You understand God is moving everywhere, not just in our city. You know, last week I was up in Cedar Falls. We have launched something brand new, brand new paradigm of a move of God in American church culture, what we're calling the online campus where you can worship with abundant life and be a part of our vision and mission from wherever you are in the world. It was about two years ago, Troy and Amy Price heard me say that. I'd never met them. They found us during COVID, started worshiping with another family up there called uh, the Reister family. They're in their living room. They hear me mention this online campus. They're growing out of their living room. And Troy and Amy renovate their barn on the family farm. We are about to baptize up in Cedar Falls, members of our online campus. This is so exciting. I don't know if you guys can see this. All these people here, we're about to baptize 20 people, members of our online campus. This is so incredibly exciting. I want you to see this. Where are the Troy and Amy Prices all over our world? That happened because a normal family. See, we think missionaries are really, you know, hyper-spiritual, the superstars. No, they're just normal people. Troy and Amy Price, living scent, right there in their part of the world. Grow out of the living room, worshiping with abundant life from hundreds of miles away. He renovates the barn we baptized in a different barn than the one that we're worshiping and meeting in. 20 people a week ago, this is Troy and Amy, in between Kyle and I, Kyle, our online campus pastor. He begins renovating this barn right here renovating this space right here. Now listen, the story's not over. That would be awesome if it was, but it's not over. What Troy told me is the FBI discovered pre 9-11 that this very farm and this very space was actually occupied by Muslim jihadists. So there was a Muslim family living on this farm and had for several years. On September the 10th, 2001, they vanished into thin air, gone. The bank forecloses on this farm. When they come in to clean up, to get it ready to sell, they find things in this barn. They realize we need to call the FBI. 
Something weird has gone on here. Turns out this very space we're now worshiping in in Cedar Falls was a soundproof room where they were planning how they could tap into the aquifer and poison the groundwater. Troy hears a couple of FBI guys in a Starbucks there in town talking about this very farm. He's now bought it. <laughs> He tells them, hey guys, you may want this whiteboard. I found this whiteboard in my barn. They already knew about the whiteboard. Said, no, you can keep it as a souvenir. We don't need it. You can't see it from where you are, but if you were there and you look closely, you know how on a whiteboard you can erase it and still see what was there? What is drawn there? What was written there? Hand-drawn, two skyscrapers next to each other, the Twin Towers. Two airplanes flying into the Twin Towers. And the caption is, the end is near. I want you to see the very building that was once a den of destruction is the very building that is now a house of worship, the worship of our God. The very building where people were planning the destruction of millions of Americans is now the very building where it is now a house of life, where Jesus Christ is giving life. And the very wall on which that whiteboard used to hang is the very wall where now the words of worship are now sang. You see, God is moving in the face of such evil and wickedness around the world. God redeems that which Satan would use for evil. He redeems it for good. He redeems it for the gospel. And church, I'm trying to say that we have a cause that is worthy of our life. Do you understand in Islam, the only way you can have a guarantee that you can die and go to heaven is if you die a martyr's death, you must die for your God. But you understand in Christianity, you don't have to die for your God. Your God came and died for you. Their leader said, hate your enemy, kill your enemy. Our leader said, no, love your enemy. Take the love of God to those who hate you. It was Muhammad that killed thousands and thousands by the sword. Oh no, it was Jesus who could have killed by the sword, but he himself chose instead to die by the hands of sinful men so that millions would not die but millions more could live. And I just happen to thank church that if they can get men to fly airplanes into buildings for a counterfeit God, then we ought to be willing to do something for the true and living God, to live with a sense of urgency for the things that matter for the sake of eternity. And at this very hour, God is raising up a generation, an end times army of men and women who will live sent, sent on mission for the things that really matter to give our lives for the gospel so the dying might live. Jesus, I pray that you would raise up a church like that in our day, that you would stir the hearts of the next generation to come behind Ken and Carrie Lyles and others like them that will live sent to reach the nations beginning with our neighbors. God in heaven, raise up the Troy and Amy Prices that'll reach their community, that'll have kingdom priorities. I pray, God in heaven, that our light would shine bright, that the power and the presence of the living God would be among us. In Jesus' name, I pray. 
Amen. Give Jesus the glory with me today, would you? Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.